production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. Search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg for daily inspiration, videos and behind-the-scenes footage. Search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. East Forest has a natural talent for creating soundscapes that speak to the heart. Lush and emotional, they design to engender deep spiritual experiences. His music has been a prolific part of my journey in healing, bringing great solace when I have needed it most. But it would be a mistake to think of East Forest as just a musical project. There is a glue that unifies everything I do, says the producer, teacher and multidisciplinary artist. The music I make is all about inviting introspection. It's a form of trusting an individual's inherent wisdom as they dive into their inner world and learn to make their own decisions. This conversation is an exploration about many things. The love and friendship he had with teacher Ramdas, the spiritual insights that he has experienced from psychedelics, and the power of music to transform your inner and outer worlds. Enlightenment is no further away than our next breath. I was having this experience over and over again that if I could just let everything go and come back to the breath, like really just literally focus on the in and the out, boom, and it's always there. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. East Forest has recorded many chart-topping albums such as Sit Around the Fire, his collaboration with Ramdas, and his newest album, A Soundtrack for the Psychedelic Practitioner. More than anything, this exchange is about carving out a life that aligns with your passion and manifesting the hidden voice within. May East Forest words inspire you towards a more meaningful existence and an inner sense of peace. East Forest, you are one of the most prolific musicians and so unbelievably spiritually aligned, but you grew up atheist. Can you... Tell us a bit about your upbringing. Sure. I mean, it's more like my... Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, my father is an atheist. My mother's more agnostic. Uh, and so it's more like, you know, no one really knew what to believe in. And it was more you could believe in what you wanted to believe in. So it was a very supportive household in that way. And I think I was encouraged to... I certainly explored different religions from Christianity to Buddhism to, I mean, I had a lot of Mormon friends. I never really was, wasn't something I tried on for size. But this was in Oregon, on the West Coast of the States. And uh, my upbringing was pretty like typical and suburban and, and very just prototypical American in a lot of ways. And that part of the country, particularly back then, didn't get a lot of action or activity like you know exciting things didn't like come in so most of your information and culture was from external sources like the radio and tv and movies basically 
This is pre-internet. Um, so I was kind of like lost in a sea of Americanism and blandness. And I think that actually spurred me as I got older to really dig deeper and say like, there's got to be more, you know, there has to be more. This just feels so empty. Um, my parents are very loving, beautiful people, but, uh, their baby boomers kind of grew up in that that culture so for them it's normal and so when i found meditation and nature and psychedelics and had that really strong felt experience on my own later in life that just cracked the, the shell for me and it was finally like oh there is more and it showed me it showed me like a way or a direction and it allowed me to it was like stars to navigate by it showed me a way a place to go how did you find those things? Um, I was in New York City at that time, and I spent my 20s in, in New York, and it's just the way the universe sets these things up. Like, everything was falling apart in my life. <laughs> I was in bands, and the bands, I was really pushing these bands, and they just weren't really happening. And this was around 2008, when the Occupy Wall Street was happening, and there was a recession happening. So externally, things were falling apart. And internally as well. And this was around when ayahuasca was very first starting to come onto the scene. And I had some friends who were inviting me into that space. And because of that, it spurred me to explore meditation in a more serious way because I wanted to be prepared. And it was all happening simultaneously. I was doing a lot of backpacking at the time, just trying to just uh, understand something bigger and getting in touch with sort of that childhood uh, connection to the outdoors that I had, like with Boy Scouts and stuff growing up. So all of that was happening at once. And so it was, it was just around me. It was like friends and it was just a cascading of new ideas. And I had inspiration in the past from, I had a couple experiences with mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms and music previously in my life that were really beautiful and and powerful but i didn't i didn't really i mean not that you ever understand it but i didn't i didn't know how it happened but i knew that that combination of the music and the feelings i had felt in those moments with the medicine were so powerful that i I really wanted to return to that and so i decided to try to make music for me to use to guide me into those spaces and that was the initial impetus for making music it was just like a tool for me I was chasing a kind of feeling when I was composing the music, something I think I I still chase now. There was a point in your life where you suffered depression. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What brought you to that point? I I suffered bouts of depression many times in my life, even as a child. Um, I remember feeling it in the third grade, and from there on, it was fairly regular and into my uh, adulthood and young adulthood. And I, I think some of it was is somewhat chemical, like not knowing how to eat the right foods and get the nourishment you need for your body, vitamin D and, and exercise. Like I just really not having the constituent parts for feeling well. But a lot of it was emotional and spiritual and just deep down, just feeling like, this wasn't enough, more than not enough, like just day to day, just sort of the pleasantries 
and you you get an education, you're supposed to get a job and pay your taxes and then die. It just seems like, what is the point of that? I just knew in my heart there was more. And I think it was a sort of soul rebellion in a sense. Uh, it's like depression is like a depressed spirit in a, in a way. And it felt like something really wanted to emerge and, and be expressed through creativity and through service that it wasn't being. And I was really trying to fit into the mainstream story of, of you know, get good grades and get, get a job and all that. I mean, I was, my plan was to be a doctor. Really? I went to college. I was pre-med and I, I abandoned that in college at some point. finally woke up and I was like, I, I really enjoy the arts and creativity. Yeah. So I just started to lean more in that direction and, and never looked back. It's interesting that you say you, there was a point in your life where you knew there was more to life than this because I had that same thing where I was working really hard in a job and I remember it was like clear as day I can remember that thinking like you're just going on the grind of doing work and things seem so monotonous and it's just you, you know in your heart that you're not here to be that hamster on the wheel, that why would we be placed here just to live a life like that? And I wonder from your experience, how did you know that to be true? I mean, the same way you, there's just a knowing, mm. a knowing deep down. I think that we all, Charles Eisenstein, the author, is someone that I uh, keyed into really early on in this process and, and got the opportunity to meet him and and uh, do some events with him. And it was just this phrase he has, like that our, our, the, the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And it's a really good encapsulation of it because we just know, we just mm-hmm. know in our hearts that we, we can do better, that this isn't the best. We can always blossom into something even more beautiful. And what that is, is individual to everyone but I do think we all share this idea that we can always improve and grow. Mm. And that's like the encapsulate the human spirit and journey in itself is that there's, there is always somewhere to go. It's this endless blossoming. And inside, I, I didn't have a lot of role models or elders to tell me this or show me this or even have a pathway. Yeah. There was no, there was nothing in my life to show me that that was even possible. It was just stories in like a movie or something like that. Or you see, you hear songs on the radio, and that was sort of how I first heard most music. And I, I didn't know how music was made. I just, it was a mystery. I loved mm-hmm. music. I had no clue. I was like, how do you make this stuff? Um, I did lots of music, like choirs and bands and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like making a song, yeah. or like a band rehearsing, it was a mystery to me. <laughs> and, but it was fascinating to me. Um, and I've just always had a rebellious spirit against the mainstream culture. And it's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. It's more just that um, I think it first came out as being sort of a trickster or a smartass, like a class clown. But as I get older, it's more just trying to to be a clear light for like what we all know to be true. Yes. And by myself reflecting it out and speaking about it, I'm really reminding myself you know, it's it's a way to cultivate and it's a practice for me, like doing these kinds of conversations. And, and we all do this in our lives, like good counsel, good conversations mm-hmm. are the ways we cultivate uh, and feed 
that part of ourselves to remind us, say, basically saying, we can do this. Yeah. You know, we're one another and saying, we can do this. You can do this. <laughs> it's true. It, it's, I totally agree with you. When you came upon music, because I love music as well. I mean, I think most people do, but I didn't go into the field of writing, producing, making music. When did that start to happen in your life where you, where you then went to actually create music yourself? It was in 2001, um, right when I had gotten out of graduate school. I, I, was, I moved to New York, and I, my grandmother, Baba, had passed away, and she left me about $2,000. And I decided I was going to get a motorcycle. And I didn't know how to ride motorcycles. It was just one of the dumbest ideas I've ever had. <laughs> and I, I, it's so dangerous. And I was in New York, of all places. And I thought, oh, this would be a great way to get around New York. It's easy to park. And I found one on eBay. And it was on the Upper East Side. And I lived down in Soho. And that's like, you know, 10 miles or something. And I, and I, I was like, I'm going to buy it. I guess I'll go up there and I'll, I'll just figure out how to get it down here. It's a death wish. Um, and it was one of those things where like right at the, I'm on, I'm the highest bidder and right at the last like five seconds, someone outbid me and I, I couldn't get it. And I remember I was crestfallen, but at the same time, it probably saved my life. And instead <laughs> I took that money and I said, well, maybe I'll just get some, there's this new device that came out called an Mbox where you could record music on your Mac yeah. and that was a new thing, um, that you could basically now use pro tools and not go into a studio and so I got that instead and I made my first record that was called Below the Bed because I had a little loft in Soho <laughs> and it was one of these tiny tiny apartments it had one bedroom but the bedroom was my roommate and I lived in the kitchen with this little loft and um, yeah I made my first record and I was off to the races and you know I've, I've been doing it since then. And you obviously talk a lot about psychedelics and, and you write music, as you said, for going into those experiences and ceremonies. And mm -hmm. how did that become such a big part of your life? Well, I, like I said, I had that initial inspiration mm. where music and that had intersected. And it, it wasn't that it was about the psychedelics. It had showed me, though, through a felt experience, just something so beautiful yeah, that was just something I experienced. Just like if you went to the moon, you're like, "Well, now I've been to the moon. I remember it." It was it was real. It was realer than real. So it was an inspiration to the beauty and depth that can exist in life and consciousness. And for me, the music was the way it it sort of became in the moment. And so it really allowed me to to continue in that direction with music. And then over time. The beautiful thing was that once I started doing the East Forest project more regularly and really as a job in a sense, like day to day, it allowed me to make it a practice where actually like making the music and rehearsing the music is like my yoga and it really keeps my head on straight and my heart open. I didn't know that going into it necessarily, but it became like this, this gift where it um, allowed me to, to stay sane in a really insane world. Yes. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. You obviously have had these phenomenal experiences taking psychedelics. Can you, 
I know there's probably been a few and from someone who, I mean, I might be the only person that's interviewed you has actually never taken psychedelics. Can you tell us about one of your experiences that you would think would be maybe the most profound whilst listening to your music or having those two combined? Well, I mean, I don't want people to think that if they don't take psychedelics or if they haven't, like, it's some kind of club, because it's not. It's, um, I would say we all have peak experiences in many different ways that are really just different flavors of the same thing. Uh, and so, and it's really even not even the point at all of why I'm making music. I mean, I make many albums. My my album before the last album, Possible, was um, a studio record that mm. I not designed for guiding psychedelic journeys. I mean, some people might do that, but to me, I was just making an album that I wanted to make. And then sometimes I make records that are specifically designed for the music to guide you, uh, like this latest record, In. But that's not to say you can't do whatever you want with that music. Yeah. And it was, it's just, you know... And I think that I want to preface that by saying, you know, I was going to bring this up later, but I have never taken psychedelics and I've had some of the most profound spiritual experiences listening to your music. And so I think, yes, you it, you do not, it doesn't need to be put in together. It's just something that a lot of people associate it with. And I actually wanted to speak about the fact I don't think you need to always associate it with that for it to be yes. as beautiful as it is. I mean, why I'm here interviewing today because it's had such a profound effect on me. Well, thanks for saying that. And I think you're speaking to the point. I mean, however your method, it's about connecting to yourself. Yes. About uh, learning of your own inherent wisdoms and truth and making choices in your life. That's what it's about. How do we live in the world with more grace? Mm. Um, I don't really care the method. So psychedelics is one particular method. Uh, whatever you're in, your own wisdom of of just how you do it is perfect for you. So, so I didn't want people to think like I don't know. They have to have that kind of experience. Um, when I when I record the ceremony albums, that kind of music is recorded inside a ceremony space where I'm guiding a ceremony, so it's live. I'm improvising, and then later on, I'll just try and edit it or make it you know there's not much you can do but you're just trying to say oh that's a great track or maybe this whole two-hour section but i'll test these albums by by journeying myself and uh, i usually do it at the end of the process and it is such a strange and beautiful experience because i'll get into the the medicine space which essentially it's it's working with your brain so you can't now really figure out on a technical level how you made it anymore even though i'm so familiar with it that part of your brain is sort of turned offline and what comes online is all this uh the more the mythic part of the brain and the and the emotional part and i get to experience my own music as if it's somebody else who made it wow and it's such a trip because i'm i'm unlocking all these emotional things and working through my own psychological issues and and traumas and memories and the music is synchronistically helping me do that in a way that i don't understand yeah. you know it's it's like the person who when i'm up there playing it to record it and facilitate that's like me me i guess it's sort of like okay i've practiced and i'm doing these things 
But then when I turn around and experience it in that space, it's like another person mm. to the point where I can now then for the first time hear that thing that's coming through, that thing that is all of us, that, that, that larger intelligence that is not the me, me, it's the greater us. And that is such a wild thing to, uh, to have flow through me in that process that, that I really do understand when people say, Oh, I had this experience with your music. I'm like, me too. <laughs> like, I know what that's <laughs> like. It is so wild. <laughs> and like, and I don't listen to my music uh, like day to day. It's just in those acute experiences where I'm sort of testing yes. the process. Yeah. The way I found out about your music was through your album that you did with Rum Dust, which is just mind blowing. Can you tell us a bit about your experience interviewing him and putting that album together? Yeah. Ramdas um, was a teacher for me from afar, like many of us. I read Be Here Now and, and listened to his talks, and he was a really inspirational figure and someone who has this wonderful combination of uh, humor and intellectual and psychedelic, uh, but not really religious. You know, he had this he had this great pedigree that was perfect for me. Yeah, and a lot of people. Um, and he's he's funny, like he's endearing, and he's, he's a great speaker. So I had the idea of working with him, and when it finally came to happen, it was in 2018 in the summer. I went over there and had this amazing experience getting to meet him and and be with him for a week to record. And I didn't know how that would pan out. I didn't know with his stroke that he had had many years before and his aphasia, he had a difficulty speaking. So yes. it was a big unknown. It could have been like, you know, he's having a bad week. He can't really talk. And I was like, that's okay. You know, I think we just need to, at a minimum, look each other in the eye and just kind of be like, this is happening. Thank you. You know, I'm going to, maybe I'll have to use old material of yours. There's plenty of it. But I wanted to try to give him the opportunity to speak and he could choose, in a sense, what does he want to speak to now? Um, well, it turned out that it was a really, really good good week. Uh, and he spoke so beautifully to some really salient issues that are happening in modernity. And he, in a lot of ways, because of his aphasia, he had to be very precise about his words. And he might speak you know, one minute, basically, when it all came truncated down. And it's like the perfect poetry with a little humor, a great opener, closing, all this little poetry in there, little micro teachings. And because the music allowed me to take out his pauses in normal life, now he's I could just pull them together and in the rhythm of the music, you don't your brain doesn't hear any mm. of that. And actually like the technology in a sense of this song, he came alive. It was like he he's completely he's like holy cow, he is fully online, not mm. just fully but 50 years of wisdom and strength and beauty. And I was just floored by what came out of that and how it, how actually like, it's one thing to interview him, but to yeah. take it and put it in the songs, um, he, be, he became the fullness of Ramdas in that moment. And unbeknownst to us, those were his last recorded teachings, uh, as far as I know. And that became such an even more powerful thing to comprehend and it feels very alive to this day the whole process 
What was it like sitting with him? He he gave his the fullness of his attention to me or whoever was there. And that was a real gift. And it really showed me how we can do that with each other. Like full loving awareness, just full love to the person you're with. You don't have to know them. There's no baggage. It's just this present moment. And um, that was beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, certainly I was starstruck. Uh, but after that, you just realize, oh, we're just two souls like crossing paths. And that's enough. You know, and we do a little dance. We don't know what the dance fully is, but you trust in that process. Uh, so it allowed me to to give in to a larger process that I'm not fully in control of, which and allowed me to flow kind of with the river that we're all in. Um, but it, it, it was some time. I went back a few times after that, and I'll, I'll cherish that forever. Yeah. I mean, it was an amazing, amazing gift to be able to to do that. Is honoured. Well-known Kabbalistic rabbi I um, spoke with on the podcast talks about being in the divine presence of one of the holiest rebbes who passed away a few years ago. And then there was obviously Krishna Das talks about when he was with Maharaji. Did you feel that when you were with Ram Das, you were in that presence of someone almost like, I don't like using the word guru, but of that elk? Yes and no. I did notice that, you know, a lot of people project onto him a lot of things. Yeah. And what I saw, and just from my experience, was a man who had done a lot of work on himself and become really, really open and loving, but a man. Mm. Um, And that to me was more than enough. Mm. Uh, And... In a lot of ways, it was better because it showed me like, oh, I could do this. Any of us could do this. We just need to dedicate ourselves to loving yeah, and to falling down and then keep loving. Um, so he, he was very human to me. But um, if anything, I was just honoring like all of his giving and his service and his wisdom over the years. So there's an appreciation for that. Um, and pretty much everybody who is one of the firsthand circle of people who met Maharaji from that group. Yeah. I, I, there's a special little group. Yes, there I know I like the group. Yes. Talk to any of them. Like yeah. tell me some stories, you know, <laughs> just to feel you feel closer to yes. that experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. There is, I know we've had Sharon Salzberg, Krishna Dust. There's a few and their stories are incredible. And yeah, yeah. it seems like a phenomenal experience. You, obviously have the track that is probably the most well-known on that album called I Am Loving Awareness and it's, it is mind-blowing. And I, I use it as a meditation sometimes and I don't know if people, if it was meant to be used like that. It's, it's only about 10 minutes, so it's short for a meditation, but it is incredible. And I have to tell you about the, the strangest experience I had and it sounds funny, but uh, you know, you've heard many experiences before and I, I, Again, obviously, I want to preface this by saying that this was just me meditating to it, no drugs or anything like that. So I often used it, I think, I have a lot of, I have a, a big meditation practice. I, I try many different meditations. I've studied Vedic and heaps of others. And um, I listen to this, I find when 
I'm sad or when I something's going on in my life that I can't, I feel like is is covering me. It's like a blanket of sorrow. Anyway, so my family dog passed away and I mean, I think she was about 15 or something like that. And you know, when it's a family dog, you're obviously sad. And it was really interesting because there's this part in the track that says, love everything that you are aware of. The sky, your room, your body, and then I ride the mantra into my heart and in my heart I see a doorway or a veil to the next plane. So let's, I am loving awareness. And I swear on my life, I was sitting there bawling during this meditation and I could see our dog. I I literally could see her and she was just so happy and she was running like almost it seemed just into the sky or something like that. And it was the most beautiful thing because I think in that moment it took my sorrow away and I I knew that she was okay. It was mm. it was one of the most phenomenal experiences and I think all those tracks are so beautiful because as we were talking about in my journey of becoming deeper into spirituality and obviously I speak to a lot of people who are uh, thought leaders or authors in that space and I try a lot of their different work. But what I've come back to recently in the teachings is love. And as you mentioned before with Ramdas and what he embodied for a lot of his life and especially at the end is being that loving awareness. I am loving awareness and I wonder how that has changed your life. Well, I mean, it's really what we are. It's the substrate of existence. It's the soup that we swim in. You know, it's the great egg of the universe that we cannot be out of. Uh, there's a song I have called You Can't Fall Out of Love. And I don't mean, well, I would mean it in all senses, but really I meant it in a large sense. Like there's no way to be lost. And so it's, it's, an, it's an unveiling. It's a peeling back of the onion to what is. And that's what he is helping us see. Like underneath it all, I am loving awareness. And that song is, you're right, it is instructive. So it's sort of explaining this idea. But what's really cool about it is it takes you into the feeling. Mm. And I, so it is like this little meditation tool and the music is the vehicle to can enliven those emotions and open that doorway uh, through the heart into the soul, as he says, uh, to really feel that embodied experience. Just as I was saying, like you know, felt experiences are not things you can argue with. Yeah. And they're not things anyone's told you. It's not an idea. It's a feeling. It's a knowing. It's actually awakening and knowing with a capital K that, that is there already. It's just sort of tapping into it and shining a light on it. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's, oh, yes. It's a remembrance. Mm. So A remembrance. It, yeah. it is absolutely. And I think that's when the heart really beats strongly because when you're hearing those words in the music, it's remembering what you already knew. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I think that's what all spiritual teachings are, mm. the good ones at their core. They're uh, reminders, they're, they're illuminators to what is already inside you. You know, I mean, because all it is is inside all of us. And if, if all is one, as Maharaji would say, sub-ek, uh, then it's not about learning or earning anything. It's about accepting the gift and it's about allowing the gift. Um, and so uh, that, that song does that well. And I have to give credit to my partner, Radha, because... I think this song was originally about five or six minutes, and she said you should make it longer so that they can use it like in Shavasana and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, well. and actually, because it was longer, uh, it was one of the only songs in the album that existed before I talked to Ramdas. I had this drone recording that I made with my friend Thatcher Schmidt. He's the violin player. And we had just recorded that one day at my, my home for fun. But there was something about it that I was like, this is this is cool. This is special. I got to save this one for something. Yeah. I don't know what. And then when uh, I had that track, I thought I'd try it. And then I made it longer. And because it had that long middle section, um, Christian's awesome. I was thinking it'd be cool to, for him to do something. And I said, well, I have this song. And maybe, maybe you could try this one because it's like a drone. Mm. Improvise. And then I'll play around with it. And then it worked perfectly. And... How cool. Like those two had never been on a song together. Two brothers. Really? And then Yeah, and they're like weaving around each other in that song. I mean it it's so cool. You know, and that was really not premeditated. It's just how the cookie crumbled. And that when I when things like that happen, I'm like, Thank you, Maharaji. You know, yeah. thank you. Thank you, great universe, for allowing this that I could be uh play the role to just help midwife this yeah. kind of thing. Its process because it had many spots where other people, you know, were chiming into it and it became what it was. And I'm like, and now that song, I mean, I looked at the statistics once and it was like, I mean, the world's a big place, so maybe yeah. this isn't such a big deal, but that song's pretty much always being played by someone on the planet. <laughs> and I love that there's a continuous thread yes. of I'm Love Awareness playing, even if it's one person in Germany and then South <laughs> Africa and then Melbourne and then, you know, Brooklyn, you know, so. It is, it's a, like I said, it's brought me that much grace, that song. And really it's got me through some really tough moments. And, and I feel at the end, like I find this sense of clarity after I listen to it as well. There's another track that you have on that album that is phenomenal as well. And it's called Dark Thoughts. It's an almighty, almighty track. And it's my favorite, yeah. yeah, it's, I, it's one of my favorites as well. I have to read some of it out because I think the words are just so profound. A dark thought that isn't going to get you there. You witness it and love it. Remember, the witness is part of the soul and the witness loves everything. Everything, not every being, but everything. And that love coalesces the universe. The oneness of the universe is love. I mean, can you get better lyrics than that? Yeah, it gives me chills. I had asked him about, well, it was sort of a self-serving question, but I know this is reflected in a lot of other people, about depression mm. and suicidal and the suicides and you know, all the suffering that's going on on that internal level with so many people and what I'd felt too. And it's not getting easier. And so I kind of said to him, what do you say about that? And he took some time, and that's what he said. Wow. And 
I love the idea that difficult thoughts, challenging emotions, instead of pushing them away or erasing them with some kind of technique or whatever, you love them. And that core idea, I think, is very powerful because it can be translated into so many things in our life. Difficult opinions, other people you dislike, mm-hmm. um, situations you want to get out of. Just just pick your thing in the world that you don't like. Yeah. How, how could you love it? How could you hold it like a mother or a father holding a scared child? Allowing the tantrum to have its play its course. It's profound. And the idea of the witness is so powerful. And I mean, him saying those lines, when I've had dark thoughts, I mean, we all have dark thoughts or negative thoughts. And that idea of witnessing it and loving it, I just changed the way that I thought about everything. Yes, and that theme of the witness, or he sometimes calls it on the record, sitting in the seat of the soul. Yeah. It's another way of talking about mindfulness, but that is a theme he comes back to again and again. Um, From that place of the witness or soul space, uh, you can do so many things. That is a place of loving awareness. That is a place of holding difficult thoughts. That is a place of merging with nature. That is, you know the place of, of telling the truth and loving everyone. Um, so that was something that was consistent, I noticed, that he kept kind of bringing up from different angles. Yes. I can't remember what song it's in, but there's a bit where he talks about Maharaji and how Maharaji said to him, love everything and tell the truth. And he was he said, I can't love everything. And he said, not everyone, every being, the sky... The everything, yeah, <laughs> and I, I found that really interesting that he said, but I can't love everyone. And he said, but mm. you don't need to love everyone, love every being. Yeah, I mean, the mystery is encapsulated in a lot of these teachings. It's sort of saying, Ramdas Maharaji says, Ramdas, love everyone, and Ramdas says, I can't. I mean, I, I can't, I just don't, I'm not good at it. <laughs> and, and then Mahajri says, Love everyone. Yeah, it's like just do it. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no. But you just—it's a thing you do and fail and just keep doing. Yeah. Um, there's so there's an impossibility to it, but there's a possibility to it. There's always a possibility. There's always it. Kind of always is. It's yeah. just You have to accept it again. Uh, so, yeah, that's a song called "Love Everyone." I believe it's the last song, and because that's sort of serve everyone, feed everyone tell the truth, love everyone, were sort of Maharaji's core two teachings, as it's told. Out of all the music that you've made, what has been your, I suppose, the album that you've really enjoyed putting together the most? Hmm. Well, I have to give credence to my first record because it was the one that, as I mentioned to you way back in 2008, I was making without really understanding what I was making. Yeah. I thought it was just music for me to journey with or meditate to. And it, it, I mean, it launched everything. It changed my life profoundly. Um, and I'm internally grateful for that. So that process was really magical because of its, its innocence in a way. I was very naive 
Um, and I try to maintain a level of that innocence now. I mean, the, the, I think the last thing I ever want is to feel jaded or, you know, I, I always want to chase that excitement that I, fe- that I felt then, that I feel now. It's like, well, what's exciting me now? You know, what, it's usually a, a, a process of recording or a, an idea or a way I could make music. Um, and I still let that lead me. Mm. Um, and then there were records like, of course, the Ramdas record, which we just talked about, was uh, life changing. And that same year, I released a record called Music for Mushrooms, a soundtrack for the psychedelic practitioner. And that was a very, very different process because, you know, the Ramdas record is a studio record where you, you, it's very labored over, there's collaborators, all that, you know, mixing, the whole thing. Whereas the Music for Mushrooms record was a live ceremony that was one long weekend, and I rec- played these two five-hour nights, and then I had I made a record, a five-hour record. So it's basically a mastering job. It took me a year, but putting that out into the world had this like very different but equally seismic wave that it created because I think the title in itself was meant to be... Um, <laughs> It's meant to be a little incendiary. Like music for mushrooms is a little bit silly, but it's also like literal. And people kind of, especially back then, it was not as talked about. And I wasn't even sure you could put five hour albums out on Spotify. (laughs) I really couldn't. I tried to find data on this and there was no answer because no one was doing this. Um, But once I did, uh, it's been a, a really beautiful experience. Uh, being able for me to witness how that's helped people on an individual level in the journey uh, at specific moments where that really was a guide for them that really helped them navigate through um, to discover themselves, to discover that love. And maybe they felt like they were having a tough time before without it. And I am proud of that because I hope that that can live on for decades. Mm. I hope and, and, help countless people there aren't a lot of tools like that and so that was something that i was really proud of and i so i made a sequel to it that's what the, my latest record is is sort of a volume two what are your spiritual practices now primarily music uh, yeah you know creativity is my main practice that helps me stay in touch with all that is and the you know the the, the parts beyond myself. Uh, aside from that, it's nature. Being ensconced in nature mm. in my place in southern Utah, or just going on hikes, backpacking, just trying to get out into nature. It's it's really soothing for me. Um, and aside from that, um, mostly just being in good relationship with my partner and my family and my friends. Like, what what's the saying like? The your relationship is the crucible of your soul work in a mm-hmm. sense. I mean, it really is the front line. You know, you can have you can say all you want on podcasts, but it's like, well, how how you doing yeah. at home? You know, how you doing in your head? Um, that's the front line. Is my my body, my head, and how loving can I be to myself? I have a lot of work to do, uh, but I've done a lot of work, and. I'm proud of the work I've done and I'm excited for where I could go. And, you know, meeting someone like Ram Dass, it showed me as like, oh, I could, I could, I could get a lot further. This is cool. Yeah. You know, um, I, um, and I, he's was very self-deprecating about his own foibles and mistakes. So I have plenty and I have, uh, so my practice is sort of my own design in that way. 
pretty much. When you are going through tough times, what tools that you have do you use to move through them? Friends, good counsel, uh, stepping up the treatment of my body, so giving myself the nutrients, like literally like supplements and exercise and sunlight, the things that will help my body and my machine, my spacesuit, like help my brain operate better. Uh, and staying in touch with that creativity, but ritual and Mm -hmm. ceremony. I I have to be honest, like uh, some psychedelic work, uh, ketamine therapy, which is, you know, legal here in ketamine clinics and psilocybin therapy is starting to become more legal here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those two things have been, you know, a couple, this is a couple times in my life, but where I was really in trouble mentally. And that experience it did something to me both chemically and physically, but emotionally and, and psychologically that really helped me turn a corner and get out of it. Um, and I'm, I'm just grateful for those tools. To, they help you sort of exercise something yeah. on an unconscious level and just work through traumas. There's many ways to do this, you know, breath work or all sorts of things. But uh, for me, I'm kind of a tough nut to crack and I'm in, I'm in my head a lot. And I have a very strong like ego that can really like think things through and I like plans and you know a course of direction and I think and think I have it all figured out in my mind but as a whole I could be ignoring what my body's trying to say to me or just the deeper layers of it so I'm I'm trying to do a lot more work on listening to that and so that's that witness so it's really trying to sit in that witness it's a reminder like to keep going back into that seat even when it doesn't seem like that does anything or there's an answer is to say like well it's kind of like a practice i know it's it's a medicine it's a vitamin so i'm just going to keep doing it and i think it sort of detaches you from being overly identified yeah whatever it is you're going through and that's the real sickness is yeah. when you you become so attached you become the thing the depression the anger whatever you mean you fully like there's no more any witness yeah and that's what i would I absolutely agree. And, you know, I think that witness, even when I notice myself doing things or things that I might not agree with usually, or I see myself slipping up or saying things and I'm like, why are you talking like that? Or why are you engaging like that? That's not you. But I notice that I do it because we all do because we're human and no one is perfect. So without the witness or that conscious awareness I would just keep doing it, but I'm so unbelievably consciously aware and I understand about having that witness that I can then go, uh-uh, you don't do that again or <laughs> stop doing that. And that's when we change. And I mean, the change might happen for a period of time. We might go back to what we were doing, but to constantly notice it and be aware of it, I think is such a step forward in anyone's growth. The soul sets up the lesson until we learn. Yeah. And I think the soul is smiling. It enjoys the process. Mm. It's like, ooh, we get to learn. We get to grow. Um, but also we can have blind spots where 
in a form of spiritual bypass, we think we have something figured out. We think like certain processes making us better or something. And it's like someone else, it's important to have that external witness to say to us, hey, I don't think you uh, think you got this all figured out. You got a little, this little thing you're doing isn't really working for, uh, for these people over here. And, and that's really important, you know, yeah. to, to be able to humble yourself and listen to that. I think that's true because I don't think any of us are that enlightened that getting help from someone else would be below us? Oh, it, I mean, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's absurd to think that we all need help at times. We all yeah. need to be picked up. We all fall down. It's, 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 it's like part of life. Mm. Um, and people like to help. You know, we often think it's, it's hard to ask for help, but almost everyone really feels empowered yes. when they're asked for to to say, oh, you know. And we always, for some reason, you think we're putting people out, you know. Yeah. Oh, I can't ask my friend for that. I've, you know, it's like. Um, so, in general, it's it's the golden rule. If you want to feel, uh, for instance, peaceful, make someone else feel peaceful, and mm. you'll then feel peaceful. This is how it works. It's through giving. Open the door to the possibilities in this ground. Down to our knees to tend the garden of the sun. You spoke before about nature being a big part of your spiritual practice and it's also a huge part of your music. When did you think about putting the two together? Because it's not every day that you listen to music and there's all these nature sounds and you do it in such a way that it's not like you're just listening to background music it's actually really powerful when all of the sounds that you put together are done in the way that, that you have with all of your albums. Yeah, and I don't, I don't like have some rule. Like I, I do it all the time. Uh, sometimes I have uh, albums or songs that don't have many field mm. recordings. And sometimes there's a lot. Um, I look at it kind of like... I always look at any song, like what serves a song. And I really try to be a blank slate to not put too much of my own agenda on that. Sort of like what is emerging, what wants to be happening. And a cricket or, you know, there's seven, I think about 700 kinds of crickets and they all sound different. So that's 700 different band members <laughs> you could pull on. And they, you know, they each have a different instrument. That's a different pitch. It's like a tambourine or something. And I only use field recordings that I've recorded. That makes me feel like these are not just the colors I have to paint with, which is useful as a limitation, but it's also what's been given to me in a sense. It's what's come across my life is a relationship with it. Um, so that feels very organic to me. It's it's part of my own story. It's where I've been. And when you have a recording of places, it, it captures the soul of it. It really does. And so I try to bring some reverence to that, to think like, what energy are you trying to bring in? Or what is this field recording? What feeling is it bringing in beyond just what it is? Uh, and it's just, it's funny because it's not something I, I think about much anymore, but it still keeps appearing here and there in my work. And, uh, particularly in the ceremony stuff, but that's different because 
it really be- plays a big role in those records because I think we all know that like nature and being outside and, and those sorts of wilderness spaces are amazing on those kinds of medicines because it's reminding you of the wilderness in, in you. Uh, so hearing those sounds is actually very calming and mm. weaving it into music is a way, it's sort of the bedrock of the experience. But like you said, it's not, I don't want it to be a gimmick. Yes. And it's not like, oh, I'm just playing this thing and then I'm going to play these synth pads over it. I don't know. It's, I like to play melodic music. I yeah. sometimes have words. I sometimes, I sing a lot. But so it's not even strictly ambient, really, by definition. But it's difficult to classify exactly it what is. genre it is. But um, it's mostly instrumental. But the thing that glues it together for me is it's, almost always emotional like i am personally interested in deeply emotional music and experiences in life yeah conversations uh food with lots of flavor you know nature spots that are really like oh this is it's got the bob this is really something i want music to be like that too Mm. i really i'm not i don't usually do music for an exercise like let's do something as minimal as possible for the sake of minimalism i'm like well it could be minimal cool but i still want it to have that special infinite ethereal something that's really making my soul like remember again, remember again, remember again. I think that's why I was so drawn to your music and you as a person, because I also like emotion is a big part of everything I do. The conversations I have with people, I, I remember many podcasts I've been asked to do. I'm like, my strength is, is interviewing people and getting deep. That is, that is what I love doing because I love to learn what makes someone who they are and the real soul of a person and your music is is absolutely that. And one of my favourite tracks is Grandmother's Sphere. And um, again, I, I really want to read the words because is it you saying the words? Do you? Yeah, say, that, yes. that track is a recording I made of myself. Yeah, I thought so. the very first ayahuasca ceremony in 2008. I was like trying to remember, I was taking notes essentially yeah. to myself. I realized that enlightenment, quote unquote, is no further away than our next breath. Yes. And it's again what we've been saying, like in that experience, I was having this experience over and over again, that if I could just let everything go and come back to the breath, like really just literally focus on the in and the out, it was boom. Like Mm. it was showing me like how that's, that is it. And it's always there. And it's, it's. I love the idea that you can fall into it in your next breath. Mm. That's what that song talks about. It's so profound. You say, do you want to know what enlightenment is? And then you do the breath. Do you want to know what enlightenment is? It's with you every moment. It's a back and forth, letting go of attachment to yourself and outcomes. It's with you every moment. It's a back and forth, back and forth. Letting go of your attachment to yourself, to outcomes. Letting go to the way things are. I mean, that is just beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. I mean, that was a long time ago, but it's I, it's so present for me in this moment, remembering that feeling, what it looks like. Um, there was like a little voice I remember that said like, do you want to know what enlightenment is? It was like a, like a little, little fairy voice or something just in the ether. And I kind of was saying, I think so. And like, what does that entail? Um, 
And then I just went back. To, I kept coming back to that meditation because that's how I had prepared for the experience. And every time I could sort of just have a pure in and out, essentially just putting my attention on in and out, and everything else was gone. All all the other stuff was gone. All the trauma, all the all the memories and emotions, and but it was just the purity of that essence of it's loving awareness. It's yeah. another way of seeing it. These are all. You know, music, uh, metaphor, poetry, art, dance, all these things are the ways we dance around the mystery. Mm. And as Eric Davis says, mystery has no edge. So we're dancing around a mystery with no edge. I mean, that itself is poetry because that's the only way to talk about it. You have to talk around it. And music does just that. It It brings up the essence of the thing that is endless that we all know but there's something about being incarnate that it challenges us to return to that memory and that seems to be the journey itself it creates karma it creates like mm. the ability to choose we get to say i want to do this i want to do that i want to go that that's your choice yeah so as my friend court says who is the 10 laws voice you know, all choices are valid and everybody graduates and I love that idea because it's like everyone graduates. It's just a matter of time. Mm. And that's, <laughs> yes, there could be suffering that feels needless. Um, but is it? It's just another, it's just we're all heading back, as Ram Dass would say, walking, walking each, each other, other home. home. Yeah. That song in particular, I think, you know, with your music, I'm like, yes, East Forest. In my head, it's like, it's so true. Like when you say it's just the breath and I'm like, it's how do you how do you reach enlightenment and it's so simple and it reminds me of a story that Oprah told and she said that she was interviewing a woman one day and her son I think he was like 11 he was dying of cancer or AIDS she couldn't quite remember and on his last breath he looked at his mum and his mum was holding him in his arms and he said to his mum it was all so simple mm-hmm. and I I think in life sometimes we make it a lot more confusing than what it actually is. And when you break down everything, it is really quite simple. It's like the surface of the ocean is where we live, or it's where we think, I should say. Mm. But there's this deep ocean of our being and who we are uh, that is just... For a lot of us, this this unknown space, but we can't not be part of it. You know, we can't be completely ever be out of the ocean. Uh, we're just we're just thinking on the surface in a sense, on this mm-hmm. top little layer. But there's miles and miles of depth, and it's just water. It's just, if the water is is the love, it just is. I mean, there's not a lot else to figure out. Mm-hmm. And thank God, right? I mean, <laughs> imagine if people die and you're like, oh. It's so complicated. You're never going to get it. You know, like, I mean, thank God that there's grace that uh, it seems to be that we can take off an old shoe, like that yes. song on the record. That's how we die. It's like taking off a tight old shoe. Uh, it's, it, <laughs> Ramdas would tell that story of uh, he had a disembodied friend, but basically a, uh, who said, Death is like taking off an old shoe, but birth, oh boy, that is something <laughs> difficult. <laughs> like, that is, it's not fun. 
<laughs> I love that. What do you believe enlightenment is? I, I believe it's uh, what we just described. It's what we are. Yeah. And it's what is always there. And it's, it's, a, it's gifted to us by existing. Mm. And we can't not be it. So it's something we fall into. It's something we choose you know, and allow it. It's something we remember. But I also believe we're meant to fall in and out of it. And I think you can practice through wit- the witness, through the mindfulness, to get in the habit of like being in that space often, which to me is you realize enlightenment happens when you're washing the dishes. Mm. Okay, it's just we've given this word into this superpower as if like, well, that's the Buddha, you yeah. know? I mean, he meditated for six years. Um, it's like, no, 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 it's all of us. And it's actually something you've experienced before by by recognizing it fully, by fully accepting it for what it is for you, that's when it really starts to blossom into its fullness. It's sort of like a a seed that grows then into this tree over time where the strength of it gets larger and larger and larger. And what's amazing is like you can never really speak about it fully without poetry or, or music or the ways we are now, certain sorts of flowery language, because that's all it is. It's just a knowing inside you. And I think that's what wisdom is mm-hmm. because you see people who, as you get older, you know, in your young exuberance, you just want to tell everybody and you think you've got it all figured out, yada, yada. As you get older, there's less and less to say. Yes. Until Ram Dass in his last year, there was nothing to say. He didn't say anything, he mm-hmm. was, but he was beaming with the answer by just being it. And that's why it was so infectious for people to be around because they just want that. They know too. Yes. A part of them knows, even if they, they can't voice it, that's real and that's me too. But I, but I'm just, I just want to be around that beautiful, beautiful emanation, this radiance coming out of him. So it's there for all of us and it's already here. Mm. You know, it's not something that has to be, uh, you don't have to sweep the ashram for 20 years. You can, that's fine. You know, you can. Yeah. Uh, but I think now we're in a kind of emergency that feels like a spiritual emergency mm. to me at its core. And that's why I feel like it's all hands on deck to say, let's use all the tools we have. Um, and that's going to be different for different people. But you know, the time is now for people to recognize their ability to choose at least where they want to point the ship for life. How do you feel at the moment with all the division that's kind of happening in the world and it's probably, I feel it's kind of been at this time, it's the strongest that we've probably had, you and I, in our lifetime. Absolutely. Um, I think this stage is set to be polarised and it's sort of a technological birthing process. It feels like we're in a birth canal and we're in that process where there's no turning back and it's dark and bloody and it's perilous like we may die uh, but we also may birth into this new being mm. we don't know what that looks like we have no way of knowing but there's a direction there's a flow that's happening of energy and it seems critical right now that we recognize our ability uh, as individuals the role we play in that not that one person you're saying well how can i change the course of the whole world i'm saying well you can uh 
you can have intention in your own life. And it's important to decide what that is on that most basic level. So we're not just feeling like victims bouncing around or reacting to everything that's going on. It's like those things are happening. The the metaphor of the ship, like you can't control the storms on the sea. Mm. You absolutely can pick a direction that you want to go. And then you will sail through the storms and the calm seas and all of it. But you need to pick a direction. Your hand is on the wheel, whether you like it or not. Mm. And I think there's an asleepness or it's an attitude being taught to us. It's like, there's no hand on any wheel. It's like, you go where the sh- we tell you to go as sheep and we'll let you know when you should do this or do that. And um, So individual choice is needed right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we learn how to choose is by clearing away the noise in our lives and tapping into our own inherent wisdom. So that's what we've been speaking about, the methods to do that, mm. whether it's psychedelics or it's going to be a combination of things for all of us yeah. and a continual process. Um, but these, this idea of practice, whatever that practice is for you, is a way to stay in touch with that knowing that's already there, but it can be really, maybe you've never really trusted it or listened mm. to it before or really learned or been taught how do I, you know, we, we have words for it, our gut, our intuition. Um, so I think that that's, that's pretty important right now. Because I think as a people, we're about to be going through even more difficult times. Yeah. Uh, my, my gut tells me that. And we're going to need our fortitude. So that's kind of my main MO. If I had to pick an action that I'm doing in the world, it's, it's trying to t- give people tools for inner fortitude. What's the best advice that you have ever been given? <laughs> uh, no, I've been given a lot of good advice, but it's all real simple. You know, um, honestly, the, the one of telling the truth, mm. which is one of the core teachings has been a good one for me because it's not, it sounds real clear cut, but it's actually not as clear cut as it sounds. And you get to the level of like, well, telling the truth to yourself. And then you're like, well, what is truth exactly? You know, it is maybe it's actually realizing that things aren't so black and white. And then it becomes like this really amorphous idea of, um, you know, what does truth mean to you and how do you live into that? in all the contradictions we have to face. So it's been good advice because it's actually quite simple. Yeah. There's a really easy litmus test. You just kind of know in your body, like, am I acting in truth right now? Or is this the truth, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you were saying, like you have you have language. Sometimes you're saying things. You're like, why am I saying this? <laughs> it's not your truth. It's not the Absolutely. truth. But you can choose. It's like, well, do I want to tell the truth right now? You know, can I? Am I? Do, maybe I'm not right now. Maybe I'm not able to. But it's a it's a good sort of North Star. What's your favorite prayer? I I have something that I tell myself that at least for me, it's really powerful. And I say to myself, I accept the love that is holding me. And for some reason, that phrase makes me feel calmer Mm. and it makes me feel held and guided and all all the anxiety of like, I'm on my own and I have to figure things out and I have to protect myself can drop away. And I can accept the love that is holding me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that mantra, just being held 
You know, mm. I have a record called Held, and I think that was me trying to lean into that feeling. What's the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? <laughs> Take your pick. Um, <laughs> probably telling the truth, like what that means. Yes. Um, and trusting, really just what you said, like trusting that I am really held and fully letting go into that. Mm. That's a huge part of me that's still trying to manage everything. And there's a dance we do. Like we, it's, we have to make choices, obviously. Like we, I mean, you know, we have to like say yes to things and no to things all the time. Um, but at the same time, there's this feeling like it's just unfolding too. And the East Forest Project from the very beginning was this sort of, I was following this kind of excitement, not knowing what it was, and then it unfolded. And I really try to remember that every day as things get more and more complicated. Yes. And you start making decisions about touring or licensing or whatever. Um, and and always try to remember, it's like there's, I just need to continually say yes to this process and with a sense of curiosity. And you can sometimes, there's things you, you don't want to do and you just have to move on and see what comes next. Mm. But I could lean in more and more and more to the trust of that love that's holding me and guiding me. And I can be sort of a servant to that as opposed to trying to be the master. What's been the most mystical experience that you have ever had? I would have to say off the top of my head, the first is in 2008 uh, in mid-September when I had that experience with that first record. Um, yeah, I had been making this music for a year, uh, not knowing anything. I, I didn't have any plan with it. It felt anti-commercial to me, almost intentionally. It's like, I'm not going to make this into a band or sell it because it's sort of experimental, ambient-ish music. But I knew I wanted to feel a certain way. And after a year of doing that, I had been inspired by those experiences with mushrooms. So I thought, I'm going to honor that inspiration and take some mushrooms in a little ceremony and then listen to this record. And so I did that. And I hit play on the record and put the headphones on. I lay in my bed in Brooklyn. And it was just the most beautiful thing that ever happened to me. I mean, the, the, the mushrooms, the psilocybin allowed me to step aside from the process of making it and just experience it now as a, as a, um, as a felt experience. And I was... I had the field recordings in there and it was everywhere I'd been over the last year. As my mom was in there and the, the places I'd been backpacking and my apartment in New York City and like it was my life for the last year. And I was like, oh my God. It's like, and there are all these synchronicities happening in the music and alignments and it was just blowing my mind and my heart wide open. And at the end of it, I had this field recording from these, you know, I was in a labyrinth on Block Island, this little island off of New York. I was, and I'd been playing a concert there with my old project. And it was a terrible concert. Like one of the worst gigs I've ever had. Like I was so depressed and angry afterwards. It's like, I am never going to make it, quote unquote. This was terrible. I had to take a ferry. I, made no, I lost money. No one was here. And it was just like the lowest of the low. Yeah. 
And I went out to this, uh, they had this little labyrinth outside. I was walking in, and these little girls, there was a, like a two or three year old and a, maybe a five year old sisters. And I was recording them secretly. I had my little recorder, and, and they were talking. And you hear them, they place us in the record. They get to the center of the labyrinth, and the little one would repeat anything the sister said. And the sister said, We're there. We made it. We're there. And then the little one said, we're there, we made it, we're there. And it was like little little elves or little sprites of the forest. And at the end of the record, when they said this, and I remembered being there, you know, I remembered how horrible it was. And of course, <laughs> the imagery of the labyrinth. And it was like, they were, it was like the universe telling me, it's like, you're here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the center now. You've always been, you've arrived. It's, you're always here. Mm. I mean, I'm tearing up thinking about it. And it was so long ago. And it's like, I just remember when the record ended, I took off the headphones and the whole room is expanding like Neo in the Matrix. And I, and it was just, it felt like, it felt like I, my soul had tricked my ego into making this record to use as a tool in this moment so that I could transform into a new beingness a new stage of life and it just felt like there was before that and there was after that mm. and then looking back that was the birth of east forest in that moment because i stood up and it was like it's about service it's about this kind of music and what it did for me and i didn't think i was going to do anything with it. it that was it that was enough i was like i will be a i'm a different person and i was but then i shared it with my girlfriend I thought, yeah, I don't know, you want to try this? She's like, yeah. So she took the psilocybin and I sat for her and lit the candles and she listened to the record. And and then she comes out and she's like, hey, I talked to my dead father. We worked out all this stuff. I'm like, what? I thought this record was about my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I tried it with my roommate and he had this another, and you know, he's from like Jamaica, very different background. And then it really got me thinking. So I gave the record, I made some CDs. I gave it to friends. It was free. Everything was free. And I, I released it on a Creative Commons license and I put it in the Internet Archive and everything was free. It was a gift. I was like, it gave me so much. How could I ever? And it's still free to this day. And, and one of the friends I gave it to, a new friend, who I met at that ayahuasca ceremony. That's where we met. Um, and I gave him the record. And like a lot of people with these forest music, my friends say, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't really get it until I really gave it some time. And, and then they have a personal thing. And six months later, they're like, oh, my God. Well, six months later, he was like, oh, my God. And he's, he got obsessed with this record. And then he's like, I'm going to set up circles. And you're going to guide journeys. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. It's okay. It's Saturday. You're going to come. And he just kind of kicked me into it. And I started playing music for ceremonies. And so... Th- he became my first manager and uh, he, he and I have launched this new thing called journey space. Actually a couple weeks ago, we mm. still work together and now we're like guiding journeys online for people anywhere in the world. Wow. And it all came out of that day in Brooklyn and me realizing that we could do more and a friend saying, I want you to do more. And me saying, I can't do that. And I owe everything to that. Wow. So I mean, it was like a total mystical experience. We're looking back like there's this design to it. I had to say yes. I had to follow that excitement and, and, and step forward. But the rest of it, I, it's not me. I can't say what all that is. And isn't it interesting when there are moments like that, you know, you said you went to that concert and just everything about it was all wrong. 
you were losing money, the trip over there. But there are parts of life like that where you're like, oh, why did that happen? How's that serving me? I don't see the purpose in this. What is the lesson? But it's only till after, it can be a few years later, that it becomes like this aha moment where you're like, I totally understand now. I totally get why I needed to go through that to get to where I am now. I accept the love holding me. Yeah. You know, that's the way of saying, I know there is the larger thing happening and I just accept it. I don't know what it is, but that's, that's the reason to have that kind of mantra. Mm. What is a life of greatness to you? I think a life of greatness is a life of service and humbleness and figuring out what that service, what it means for you. Um, Anytime we start to quote unquote awaken into these themes we're talking about, I think it naturally informs a kind of service because you realize, well, there really is no other game in town other than loving and helping. And when I'm helping others, I'm really kind of helping myself anyway. Mm. And that's how I end up feeling really good when I do it. And the other things don't make me feel good. So you realize that service is what it's all about. And it's really beautiful that when you start to express your own gifts, usually it's in some form of service. It just naturally is. Mm. Um, I like to feel that I'm doing that by expressing gifts of music. And my work is to kind of keep that compass to be like, hey, hey, whoop, you're going a little, you're getting excited by the candy over here. And that's really not what you want. It's not what you, it's not what you want. Yeah. Is that, you know, so I have to keep choosing every day. And to remind myself. So I think if I were trying to think how could I make my life great, how could any of us make our lives great? And it's just how could we fall further into service? East Forest, thank you for all the service that you have put into the world. Your music is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you for the beautiful conversation today. Yeah, thank you. Really, really enjoyable. And I look forward to coming back to Australia. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers Matt Curry and Nicola Sitch. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.